Well, I am happy to tell you that we have finally made it. We are in our last week of 2020. We probably never thought that uh, we would get here, but here we are. We have finally made it to the end of the weirdly longest and shortest year at the same time. Right about now, you're probably expecting some sermon about how this year was really awful, but together we, we made it through it. How God was working behind the scenes through everything. That hindsight is 2020. I don't want to say any of that to you today. This year kind of sucked, didn't it? Um, I'm sure this last month especially has been quite hard for you. I know it has been for me. We likely all just experienced a Christmas that was very different and which we probably weren't allowed to see a lot of our loved ones. And I'm sure that probably wasn't the way you wanted to wrap up 2020. This year was hard. And I think one of the big reasons why it was so hard is because we love to control things. We don't like it when something is out of our control. And this is especially true for you if you struggle with anxiety like myself. We have a deep desire for perfection in our lives. We might not realize it, but we do. If I have a minor inconvenience in my life, I get upset. If I go through the drive-through lineup and it takes a little bit longer than normal, I, you know, I get upset because it doesn't perfectly fit into my schedule. You know, maybe you even grew up dreaming about finding a, a perfect spouse, having a perfect family, finding a dream career. And with this dreaming, I'm sure you probably stress or are still stressing over making the wrong decision. We crave perfection, an, an uninterrupted life. As much as we say this, you know, we want to say this isn't true, I do believe there is an underlying desire for perfection in all of us. I bet that everyone in here has some kind of hobby or extracurricular activity, maybe a sport, that you wish you could perfect one day. Honestly, the closest I am to perfecting anything is probably quoting TV shows. Uh, I do have a gift at this. But seriously, if I could perfect anything, it might be like preaching or doing floral work or drumming, who knows. The problem, of course, is that absolute perfection does not exist. When you think about it, even a brain surgeon can't complete a perfect surgery because that would suggest that there is no room for improvement. You have mastered the perfect way to do a brain surgery. But medical research isn't stopping anytime soon. Until there are no more terminal diseases, medical research can never stop. Therefore, there are always going to be new ways of improving. Perfection doesn't exist. Even the definition of perfection itself suggests that perfection is impossible. The definition reads as this, the condition, state, or quality of being free or as free as possible from all flaws or defects. Now, funnily enough, the verse that we're going to talk about today is an instance where Jesus says, be perfect. The exact verse is Matthew 5:48, and it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Why would Jesus say you must be perfect if this is impossible? I think we can explore a couple of different uh, possible answers to this here. But first, I think it's important for us to know the context of this verse uh, before we break it down anymore. So this is from the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is actually talking about loving your enemies. And we're going to read, it's found in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So Jesus is talking about loving your enemies here. Not just loving your, your neighbor or your family or your close friends, but your enemies. Loving our family and friends can most of the time be easy. Maybe not in all circumstances. Maybe sometimes you want to donate your friends and family to MCC and pick up some new ones. But you know what I mean. For the most part, it's easy to love those that are close to us. Even loving strangers can be easy sometimes if we're assuming the good in other people. But loving our enemies is a challenge. This idea of perfect love means it isn't just extending to the people that it's easy and logical to love. And let's keep in mind, too, that love is an action, not just a feeling. Anyone can say they love their enemies, but how does your life actually reflect that? So we could see, you know, Jesus talking about being perfect when it comes to loving our enemies. Boom, done. Simple, right? No, it's not, because he is still saying be perfect, which is still hard to understand. How can we be perfect at this, even loving our enemies? Why would Jesus say be perfect if it's impossible? Let's explore a couple of those possibilities. The first thing, Jesus often spoke in language that we weren't meant to understand. Jesus said some things that we weren't supposed to take literally. Example, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Uh, with this, he was trying to express the importance of not giving into temptation. I don't think he actually wanted people to gouge their eyes out. Uh, you can question me if you think otherwise. Um, but Jesus spoke in parables a lot of the time. And even the disciples picked up on this. And in scripture, we see them ask him why he spoke this way in Matthew 13, 10. To which I'm going to read Jesus's response to that question, which is found in Matthew 13, verses 11 to 15. So this is Jesus's response when he's asked why he speaks in parables. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Even the way he answers the disciples here is not direct. Uh, he then goes on in this passage to answer them with another parable, which is the parable of the sower, where he explains the importance of good soil, or in other words, a firm foundation in Christ, so that we aren't swayed by the enemy's teachings. The point remains that what we can learn here is Jesus didn't always speak directly to the point for a couple of reasons. First of all, he spoke this way sometimes, so it was easier for us to understand. Maybe not necessarily in that specific example that I just shared, but sometimes. He also would speak this way because we are not meant to know everything. If we knew all the answers, we would be God. And this is the whole point of this talk today, is that we can't actually be perfect because only God is perfect the only one who is all-knowing and never changing. So what if we took our desire to be perfect and turned it into a desire to reflect Christ? So the question still remains then, 
What could Jesus trying to be telling us by saying, be perfect? The next reason Jesus might say this is what I just said now. Jesus is trying to express to us the importance of trying to imitate Christ with our lives. So we're called to imitate Christ. The passage says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This verse is telling us that in our trying to be perfect, we are actually trying to be like Jesus. So I'm sure you've maybe heard the expression before of be the best version of yourself. But instead of trying to be the best version of ourselves, we should try to be our best version of Christ. How would he have lived his life on earth? How did he live his life on earth? And I think a good way for us to understand this passage is when thinking about sanctification, which is the action of making or declaring something holy. So what does that word holy mean? It means set apart. Every day as Christians, we should be experiencing sanctification, which looks like repenting of our sins, asking for forgiveness, and then trying to live a life that is as holy as possible. Again, we're never going to achieve ultimate holiness, but we can strive to do our best within our human capability. We can live a life that is obviously set apart from those who don't know Christ. Only God is truly holy, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to imitate him with our lives. And you might be asking right about now, if Jesus is giving us a seemingly impossible goal, why even pursue it? But if we thought that way about everything, nothing would ever get done. To give an example, I failed my N test, which is, you know, our driver's test. I failed that four times in high school, okay, four times. And at the time, I'm sure that seemed like an impossible goal to just get my driver's license. But of course, I didn't give up. And here we are 10 years later, and I still don't drive. Just kidding, I do. And uh, I actually drive standard too. So, we know, I was striving towards a goal that seemed impossible, but it was attainable. I just had to try a little bit more. But when it comes to achieving perfection and holiness, this is an unattainable goal, unlike, you know, getting a driver's license. So if we are striving towards something unattainable, that means that we will never reach completion. We always have more work to do. And this is true of our sanctification. There's always more work to do. Imitating Christ and striving for holiness, it should be a challenge. And at times, it might come with a cost. Imitating Christ isn't always going to be a popular decision that you make. It might cost friendships, maybe the image that people have of you. It might cost you some worldly sin that you want to explore. But Jesus doesn't just say, only imitate me when it's convenient. We are called to imitate Christ in everything that we do. So what have we learned so far? Uh, Jesus often spoke in parabolic language, and he gave us a high calling to imitate him with our lives. This doesn't necessarily answer why he would still use that word perfect if it's impossible. So why else would he tell us to be perfect? A third reason is that we are imperfect beings who have perfection dwelling within us. Now, I'm sure I may have just lost you, so allow me to explain. In 2 Corinthians 4, there is a really cool passage that describes us as jars of clay. Now, I'm not talking about the Christian alternative rock band from the 90s. I'm talking about us as Christ followers. So we're going to read this passage and then break it down a little bit. So it's found in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 to 10. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, 
perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So the jars of clay that we are talking about, we can assume to be like what you would know to be a ceramic pot. Nothing crazy and different than what we see today. And interestingly enough, the Corinthians were actually well known for their pottery. But not highly glazed and perfect pottery, but pottery made of inferior clay. And it, you know, when it was lit, it actually would make an incredible light diffuser at the time. The cracks would let the light out. In biblical times, similar to today, these clay pots could be used to hold anything. They could be used to hold something mundane, or they could also be used to hold something incredibly significant. I believe the Dead Sea Scrolls were even placed in ceramic pots for safekeeping. This was probably before they had like a safe with a lock. Anyways, the author Paul here is saying that we are like an ordinary clay pot that has the ability to hold something ordinary, but also has the ability to hold the perfect light of Jesus. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We host perfection in our bodies when we accept Christ into our lives. We have perfection dwelling within us. And like a jar of clay, for one thing, they're all unique. They're created beautifully, functional, and also breakable. I don't know if you've ever gone to a store with a lot of pottery for sale. I don't know about you, but I'm afraid to even so much as blink in a store like that because I just feel like my clumsy self is going to break something. We are breakable. We are vulnerable. And I'm sure, especially this year, you have felt like you've come to your breaking point and that you can't possibly be put back together. But the beauty of this passage is that Paul is saying that while we might be people of imperfections, those cracks and spaces are opportunities for God to shine through because God uses imperfect people to let his perfection shine through us. The Bible is full of stories of people or of God using people incredible to do incredible things. Example, Joseph, Moses, Jonah, Paul, to name a few. Now, the end of the passage in 2 Corinthians says this, and I think it's really powerful. This is uh, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is an incredible promise to us here, a promise that God, through our cracks and momentary troubles, is achieving something that is beyond this world. So again, if this is telling us that we are imperfect, why does Jesus say, be perfect? Let's look at one more reason why Jesus would say this. I believe the last reason could be to emphasize our deep need for a savior. We can't achieve perfection, and this is why we need relationship with Christ. Because we are striving towards this unattainable goal of trying to make ourselves perfect, we need Jesus. Jesus became sin for us so that we don't have to achieve perfection in order to have a relationship with God. He took the fall for the sin of all humankind when he died on the cross and then rose again. Now, I didn't take Greek in Bible school, so I'm sure I'm probably going to butcher how this is actually supposed to be said. But in the original Greek text, the word perfect in this passage is actually teleos, which translated means mature or whole. 
and not perfect. While this might seem like a more realistic goal, it is still an incredibly high standard that we are called to. We are called to maturity in our walks with Christ. We can never reach perfection because it's impossible, but we can reach spiritual maturity. And the cool thing is that even when you reach maturity in Christ, there is still room to grow always. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't do a hundred good deeds and then be set to go. We can't earn our salvation. It only comes through Jesus. So again, where does this be perfect command fit into all of that? I believe that Jesus has set the bar so far out of reach that we have to go to him for mercy and righteousness. And this is where that word sanctification comes back into the picture too. The need to work on ourselves every day. Did you perhaps uh, participate in a sport growing up? Are you still competing in one now? Did you maybe have or still have a parent who really, really pushed you in that sport? Do you think that parent expected perfection from you? I surely hope not, but maybe they did. If you were raised under extreme pressure to be perfect in your extracurricular activity, it might have even ruined the experience for you altogether because expecting perfection from others isn't healthy. It's not healthy in relationships or friendships because we are broken people. So when we don't give room to be imperfect, this is where anxiety comes in. You might not know that you expect perfection from people, but think back to the last time you had an argument with a loved one. Why were you so upset? Perhaps because they acted in an imperfect way? I think if we were on a sports team and God was the coach, I don't think he would be the aggressive coach that yells at you and tells you that you aren't good enough. I do think he would push us to greatness. He would want more for us. He would want us to succeed. He knows that perfection isn't possible, but he calls us to chase it with the best of our human capability. Not what the world might perceive as perfection, but a life that accurately represents Christ. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this talk that I struggle with anxiety. Now, I don't have a diagnosed anxiety disorder, but I definitely struggle with it. I've gone to therapy for it. Uh, I don't like to say that I have anxiety because I don't like to give it that power over me. But I do get really anxious when I have to drive in poor weather conditions, when going on a flight, and especially if I have to make a decision that affects others, just to name a few scenarios in which I feel great anxiety. Now, what all those fears have in common is that those anxieties are united in a fear of a normal situation being interrupted by imperfection. We like things to go our way, especially me. I don't like change, and it's not hard to know that about me. Um, I've attended this church since I was seven. I grew up to be the youth pastor. I've lived in Abbotsford my whole life. I've had the same group of friends for a long time, and I always cycle through the same TV shows because I don't like change. But I'm starting to realize that the only constant thing in life sometimes can be change. I've been working here uh, full-time since the summer of 2016. And let me tell you, getting started, planning adventure camp, and all these big events was scary. It was overwhelming to think about all the details that had to go into it. 2020, I really started to feel confident in planning these events, because I have done it for a while now. Planning the ski trip, easy. Planning the high school retreat, I've got it handled. You could almost say I had perfected the planning process. Then March came and everything we knew got turned upside down. 
This year has been riddled with anxiety for me, to be quite honest, because we went through a sudden drastic change. We might not want to think so, but we crave perfection. And this may be why this year has been so challenging for us. A constant need for perfection is what is probably driving a lot of our anxiety right now. We're afraid to mess up. We want to be perfect. We want things to be normal. The hard pill to swallow though is that perfection is unforgiving. We are so hard on ourselves when we don't achieve perfection in something. But you know who is forgiving when we aren't perfect? Jesus doesn't want us to become an unhealthy perfectionist, but he does want us to do our best to be like him within the realm of our human capability. And it will be tough, but that's why we have him on our side. We are lucky because we don't have to reach perfection to have a relationship with God because Jesus demonstrated perfect love for us by dying on the cross for our imperfections. So my final challenge to you today is this. Let's take this desire to be perfect and turn it into a desire to be just like Christ. And then let's take heart and remember that God's light has the power to shine through our cracks and imperfections. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the perfect example for us. I thank you that you shine through our imperfections. We confess that we often try to live up to what the world would perceive as perfection and not what is perfect in your eyes. God, we ask that we could do the best within our human capability to be like you and shine your light into darkness. And Lord, I pray that we would turn to you when we experience fear and anxiety, that we would trust in your never-changing spirit. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for our imperfections. You are the perfect example of what it is to be good. And may we be jars of clay that honor that perfection. And we love you, God, and in Jesus' name.